Thank you for joining the ESBC Sports Betting and Financial Podcast. We are part of the ESBC Podcast Network. I'm Jason Maverick. I'm here with Josh Abner. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about Bitcoin and, and cryptocurrencies. Um, you know, first, let's just talk about currency. Okay, so currency means money currently in use. Uh, you know, U.S. dollars, European euros, Russian rubles, and Japanese yen are all uh, examples of government-created money known as fiat currency. Fiat just means a, an official order or authorization. Uh, so that this money, uh, you know, is, is backed by the government, right? It's backed by the government. Uh, it's accepted. It's supposed to be accepted everywhere in, in that country. And, uh, you know, you go to work, you get a paycheck, that paycheck, uh, you, you know, you deposit it in the bank, you take cash out, that cash that you have is backed by the government so that when you go to buy goods and services, you know, it's, it's going to be there. Now, um, well, let's talk think, a little bit about currency, right? Because I have an MBA and I have uh, securities licenses and I have clients that worth 20 to 30 million. And once you get... So like 20 million is like a magic number. Really 5 million is, right? Uh, in Canada, what's the number, right? That somebody could retire at here. I'd say it's $4 million. If you have $4 million liquid, right? We can put you in safe investments. We can put you in a whole life policy where you get interest. And you can draw maybe 100000 to $120,000, depending on your investments going every year until you die. doesn't matter if you're like 120 or whatever. What's the, what's the number in Canada? Uh, you know, probably around 2 million. Uh, now, what, what happens is most, most Canadians, you know, their largest asset is uh, their home. Right. And what happens is when they're, they're home, uh, you know, they're ready to retire. They're ready to uh, maybe go into a retirement home or, or maybe. Uh, I don't know. In my experience, I've met a lot of Canadians in Florida who live yes. in Florida. Or my cousins say, man, there's so many Canadians here in Cuba. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing is, you know, there's a lot of snowbirds, as they, they call them, where what, what happens usually is they'll sell their house, right? and usually they're going to sell their house for, you know, let's say, hypothetically, a million dollars, and what they'll do is they'll downsize and get a condo, or, right. uh, you know, rent an apartment, and then uh, what they'll do is they'll spend maybe four months or six months, the winter uh, time in Florida, and then they'll spend the rest of the time uh, here in Canada. And, and usually, I would say $2 million is probably a good good retirement uh, fund for, for the average person, if you want an average sort of retirement. Uh, if you want, you know, uh, the, the kind of the ultimate luxury, it's going to be more, of course. But uh, the average one, I would say probably around $2 million you could retire comfortably. Right. So that's very interesting because we uh, – before we started the podcast, we talked about the restrictions in trade in Canada, how there are a lot more uh, than here. Here you have less restrictions in trade and the number to retire is higher, right? Because I guess more people are doing well and the price is higher here because more people can pay as opposed to uh, what people can pay in Canada. And then Canada is, uh, the pop what's the population in Canada? 
you know, it's approximately, uh, you know, 32 to 35 million. Uh, you know, you could say approximately 35 million. So it's 35 million. And how much how, of that 35 million, how many live in cosmopolitan places like Vancouver, Toronto, Montreal? I believe something like uh, 75% lives in the major, uh, major, yeah, major hubs and close to the U.S. border. Got it. Got it. So, yeah, so that's very interesting to me because then that translates to uh, the fact, right, that, and, you know, a guy like Andrew Cuomo talks a lot about uh, during this pandemic, nobody had to do anything, right? But uh, they listened to the government, right? They had faith in the government. They had faith in Trudeau. That's why people stayed inside. Currency operates the same rate, right? The number one thing in currency, right, is faith. That's what gives it value, is the faith in it. Uh, even though the, the markets are very, very shady with trade with currency, uh, faith is a big part of it. So uh, I want to know your thoughts on faith. And then the, the other part of it is when you talk about currency, you have to right now educate the public every time you get a chance, and I know you agree with this, on the currency manipulation that China does. Sure, of, of course. Uh, you know, so for, for the first part, uh, faith, of course, right? You have to know that when you go into a restaurant and you, you pay uh, cash, that that restaurant's gonna accept it, right? You're, <laughs> if you're living in the US and you're going into a restaurant in the US, uh, it's a legal tender, right? It's a legal tender and all debts public and private, right? That's printed on the on the dollar, right? In the right. US. So it, it's supposed to be accepted. It, it You have to have faith that people will accept it. Um, and, and that faith is a huge, huge part because, uh, you know, if, if let's say one day you go into a store and you want to buy something and you can't pay cash or you can't pay uh, with a credit card, they won't accept your money at all then, uh, you know, that's going to cause a real uh, lack of confidence, lack of trust. Uh, but the, the thing is with, with the, the U.S. dollar or any sort of legal currency, it's backed by the government, right? It's backed by the, the government of that nation guaranteeing that this is a, a legitimate bill, right? Gold, right? Yeah. Little... No longer gold. It's just faith in the government. Yes, you yes. Take... Detail to the government is faith that the government is going to do what they have promised to do. Yes, yes. And it's also, uh, it's backed as well as by the laws, right? So right. when when you want to settle, like, for example, a debt in, in a private debt or a personal debt or a, any sort of public debt, they'll accept the currency, right? They'll accept the currency to, to do that. So it's very big there. In terms of China, right? Uh, as you guys know, uh, you have an election coming up, you know, for, for many, many decades, China has been artificially lowering their currency so that they could boost their exports. Right. And for many, many decades, uh, Japan was the leader in Asia with exporting TVs, and phones and VCRs and all those high-end uh, electronics companies like Sony, uh, you know, auto companies like Toyota, Honda. Japan was the leader in Asia for many, many decades 
post-World War II, but pretty much uh, starting in, in the 90s, uh, you know, China started to build because they were artificially long their currency. It was cheaper to manufacture in China than Japan. And then more and more people looked to China to manufacture their goods. So uh, the thing is when they get paid there, because it's a communist regime, they're able to artificially lower their currency and that gives them, uh, unfortunately, a, an unfair competitive advantage, right, for exporting goods. Right, so, so eating, for lack of a better word. Yes, you could say that, right? Because uh, other countries that are a free market-based economy, they can't artificially lower their currency, right? It's it's what, what the market values it at, right? So... Uh, but but now well, it, this, this is what it's important right on a, on a deeper point and what's important about currency and what's important uh, about the later topic that we're going to talk about in Bitcoin because the United States banks are the only banks in the world other than maybe Denmark or maybe Swiss banks right uh, American banks are one of the few banks in the in the world that you can trust because uh, even though they've gone into default, uh, the U.S. government has been able to bail them out, right? Huge banks, you know, Bear Stearns, uh, Lehman Brothers, a lot of, a lot of banks have failed, right? But they've always been bailed out by, used to be gold, now it's been bailed out by the Federal Reserve Bank and the Federal Reserve Bank is privately owned, right? Which is crazy, but it's privately owned by uh, super elites from the late 1800s to the early 1900s that I encourage people to look to the three senator vote in 1913 <laughs> that ratified the, that made the Federal Reserve private, right? And who were the families involved in it, right? One big one would be the Schiff family, right? Of Adam Schiff, who we, we've seen in the news, right? So when you talk about currency, that gets to the heart of it, right? The heart of it at the end of the day, some of what they talk about in religion, which is faith, right? In the United States, uh, banks, right, have the most, the highest level of faith, right, highest level of credibility because of the history and current history. The result of that is that uh, you add the manipulation, right, that Jason talks about, and you add uh, China, right, the lack of faith. So what happens is that Chinese elites have more faith in uh, and I'll ask you as a form of question, Jason, China, because you're in the middle of it there in Toronto and Vancouver, that Chinese elites in, in a significant portion of the Chinese population in the Chinese Communist Party view Canadian banks and American banks as more trustworthy than, than their own Chinese banks. Is that true? 
Yeah, I, I would I would agree that that is true. Um, you know, you have a lot of uh, wealthy uh, Chinese business people that are are buying properties right in the U.S. A lot of properties in the U.S. and Canada and Europe, and are a lot looking to uh, divert a lot of their assets to to other countries. Uh, you know, for many reasons. But one of the reason why is uh, I believe uh, in China they have a strict law where if if uh, uh, you know, a business uh, fails, uh, then there's criminal punishments for the leadership, for the management, right? And uh, one example is, I read an article where there was a dog food company, and they were making dog food, and they were exporting it. Uh, somehow, the dog food got tainted, and it killed thousands of dogs. And then what happened is they arrested the, the senior management of, of that plant, the, the supervisor of that plant, and they gave him like a crazy sentence, like 50 years in prison or something, you know? So it's just a crazy sentence because he, he was ultimately, uh, you know, liable for, for not doing his job correctly. And it cost many dogs uh, to pass away. So they're very strict there. Uh, and, uh, you know, the other other thing is because their legal system is not uh, as transparent, you know, the Chinese government could pretty much just seize your assets at any time, right? Uh, whereas uh, in a democracy, you know, there's more laws protecting the individual and uh, in a communist nation, uh, you know, they're, they're, you know the, the state ultimately owns everything, right? So um, yeah, it's uh, definitely, um, it's going to be a lot, lot uh, better for them to move their money and assets somewhere else as individuals compared to just uh, leaving it there in China. And, and you see this a lot is uh, why, why don't these uh, Chinese investors invest in their own country, right? Why don't, don't they build their own country and invest their own country, keep buying properties in their own country? Uh, many reasons is, uh, you know, prices are also very expensive in, in places like Hong Kong and, and Shanghai, uh, you know, whereas uh, it's it's cheaper to buy in, let's say, parts of Australia or parts of New Zealand than to buy in those spots. Um, but now uh, to uh, cryptocurrencies. Right, so you have that. So you have that it's built by faith, right? You have all this shady stuff. You have all this manipulation going on. So what Jason and I do is what we have to do anyways, is we are swimming with sharks without getting eaten alive. So we're mitigating that. And then we're mitigating that the Chinese are, there's a large presence in Toronto where, where Jason lives. There's a, heart, there's a huge presence here in Southern California, especially Irvine where I live, and then Vancouver is a big hub for them. And so is uh, Bellevue, Washington, right? So you put that all together, then cryptocurrency comes in. So what is cryptocurrency? So uh, crypt cryptocurrency, uh, you know, is defined as electronic money made with technology to control how it was made, protect transactions, uh, hide the identities of its users. Uh, the technology around cryptocurrencies effectively gives them the same traits as regular cold hard cash, uh, but cryptocurrencies are not made out of thin air 
Instead, people have to have their computers work many hours and expend massive amounts of electricity to mine the digital money. Uh, you know, they run these software programs that solve mathematical questions and, and uh, build codes. Um, you, you know, what we'll do is we'll, we'll talk about Bitcoin now a little bit. Right. Uh, you know, Bitcoin was the first widely adopted cryptocurrency. It was created in 2009 by uh, someone under the name Satoshi Nakamoto. Uh, no one knows who Satoshi is. It could be, uh, you know, the, he could be one individual. It could be a group of people. Um, here's the thing is no one has uh, heard from him in many, many years. Uh, there's kind of some, some speak on the internet that Elon Musk could potentially have been uh, Satoshi Nakamoto, uh, but no one knows that for, for sure. Um, like the, the, the purpose behind Bitcoin really is to allow one person to directly send money to another person. Right. And this type of transaction is known as peer-to-peer. -peer. So, uh, you know, in, in other words, uh, you know, you could pay one person, whether they're a block away or across the globe uh, directly, and there's no need for a bank or a government um, to, to interfere in the transaction. Um, you know, all the peer-to-peer -peer transactions are, are highly efficient. Um, you know, and unlike uh, the U.S. dollar or other currencies, there are only 21 million Bitcoins that will ever exist. So they have a limited supply. They can't print more. They can't make more. It's just 21 million. Um, only about 16.7 million uh, is uh, available right now. The rest is still slowly being mined. Um, and now, just to talk a little bit about mining, we don't want to go into so much detail, but just a little bit. Right. Um, so people know kind of what it is, because that's a big part of it. And then when people talk about entrepreneurship in Bitcoin, that's where I see a lot of opportunity is in mining, but like everything else. Uh, first to market, largest market share. So when you bring more people into the market, less of a market share you have. But uh, Jason and I were talking off camera. We both grew up uh, lower middle class, middle class, you know. Uh, a little market share is better than no market share. <laughs> of course, yeah, of course. <laughs> so, because, you know, a little market share will pay bills and rent and make you happy. Uh, so... That's where I see a little bit, and let me know your thoughts, a little bit of opportunity as far as people want to work hard, they can mine Bitcoin. Yes. Uh, what I'll do is I'll explain uh, Bitcoin mining in three steps. And, and keep in mind, this is an oversimplified uh, steps. Uh, step number one, every Bitcoin transaction is recorded and verified on a public digital record. Uh, there are over 7,000 people using their computers to keep identical records of these transactions. The purpose of so many records is to reduce the risk of any single person or group manipulating or falsifying the data. In other words, public records provides transparency, security, and ensures Bitcoin transactions are permanent. Uh, number two is mining is the computer process of recording and verifying information on the digital record known as the blockchain. 
There are many different ways to mine, but Bitcoin mining also requires computers to solve tough math problems. Uh, number three, because mining requires computer power, people do this work in return for money. Miners are paid transaction fees. That's a small amount of Bitcoin paid by people like you and I when we send Bitcoin. Another incentive is to mine uh, is that the first computer to solve the math problem will earn 12.5 uh, new uh, Bitcoins. Uh, these are called uh, uncirculated Bitcoins, the new Bitcoins. In other words, uh, the new ones that are still uh, left to be mined would be paid to them. Um, you know, and, and you know, at the, at the bottom line is all this wild Bitcoin technology uh, is the unique advantage that no bank or government creates or maintains Bitcoin. And in other words, Bitcoin and the government cannot control Bitcoin and cannot control its users. So this is kind of the thing is, um, you know, if you have Bitcoin, you know, and, and uh, you file for bankruptcy, you know, it's not like the government could come and take your Bitcoin, right? No one knows how much Bitcoin you have except, except for yourself, right? So that's very important. The other thing is you could send it all over the world. A lot of companies are now accepting Bitcoin, right? Uh, right. You, uh, you now, know, so now, let's talk a little bit about that, right? Yes. Because you got a guy like uh, the head of JP Morgan. Jamie Dimon. And Jamie Dimon has more money than God. Uh, he has a wonderful track record. He's good and he's still young, has great ideas. And he hates Bitcoin, right? He says anybody he sees trading Bitcoin, JP Morgan, they'll fire immediately. Right? This is the risk involved. In. He deals with those dynasties we talked about that 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 fund, right, the uh, Federal Reserve. But then you have people equal standing or even more than him who love Bitcoin, right? You look at a guy like um, Thiel, uh, multi-billionaire so, uh, multi Silicon guy, Peter Thiel, who loves Bitcoin. He doesn't trade or do anything unless it's Bitcoin related, right? And of course, a guy like uh, Warren Buffett, of course not, right? Right from the beginning, right? A guy like Soros, yes, okay? so. Justice, right? And people can go to a podcast and I'll repost it because it's one of the better podcasts that we've done as far as explaining, getting to the heart of human nature, uh, the legal system, right? And ethical boards, right? And it comes from being old and having one in those arenas consistently. And it's getting to the heart of the matter, right? And the most important rules are unwritten rules in culture each you know uh jason and i talked about the culture in saskatchewan certain rulings that came down in saskatchewan that had nothing to do with ethics or nothing to do with the law had nothing to do with intelligence had everything to do with culture had everything to do with common sense had everything to do with humanity right so and we've talked about this before, so I'll hit you with these, right? Uh, I'll hit you with some information, right? And then, uh, Jason, you give me your feedback. You have 
we'll start with what people know the law, right? You get arrested and then you go. Then you have selective prosecution. That's where, because of the region you're in, because of the cultural norms, right? Uh, in the United States, it's illegal to drink unless you're 21. New Orleans is 18. That's part of the culture. Stay there forever, even though that is the law, right? So selective prosecution, right? Uh, Bookmaking is illegal, but in New York, New Jersey happens all the time, and the police don't do anything. It's just part of the culture. It's illegal, but it's selective prosecution. And then selective prosecution gets in trouble when a white officer kills a black guy and nothing happens to the cop, right? Everybody knows he did a crime, but that's the ugly part of selective prosecution. Then you have cops have always talked to me and I've always seen it as a mess, right? Because people are in denial. And that's the one good thing about the pandemic. It's ripped the veil of people not understanding that we live in a very chaotic, unfair, unstable world. The fact that you can have a little bit of stability in your life or can con yourself into thinking everything's all right all the time, that's very good, and I envy that. But it's not reality, okay? So when a cop would tell me 20 years ago, 25 years, it's not the letter of the law, it's the spirit of the law. Okay, you got a high school diploma, and you're going to be the arbiter, the genius, the god of what should be in the spirit of the law versus the letter of the law, right? Then you go into ethical boards. What's ethical and what's unethical, right? And because a moral thing, religion, you're going to go to hell if you do something wrong. But so many times I've heard, oh, that was unethical, but it wasn't illegal. Or that was unethical and the person got sanctioned. What was the sanction? Oh, the sanction was that they removed his card from his desk when he goes to the meeting once a month. Oh, and how much money did he make? A million dollars. I'll be like, okay, for a million dollars, here goes your card at the desk when I go to the meeting, right? So uh, the only way you modify behavior is through enforcement mechanisms. So regardless of the ethics of it, and I've seen very religious people, I've seen even ministers, priests, people who with beautiful families, and you look at them and they're so clean cut and so ethical. Let me open the door for you, sir. Oh, so nice, da, da, da. And you see the dad and the mom and the kids commit horrible ethical breaches. <laughs> But there's no enforcement mechanism, so it doesn't matter as long as they make a lot of money, right? So with cryptocurrency, a few drug dealers have gotten off. They've tightened those laws up a tiny bit. And then the other enforcement mechanism now has been minutian with the IRS. Uh, they want to track your Bitcoin so they can tax you, right? So let me know what's going on with that in Canada and then What's your overall thoughts on that, on the laws, selective prosecution, and then uh, maybe ethical, right? There's two flavors of ethical. There's ethical violations that actually have penalties where you can get fined or you get kicked out of a group and you can't make more money, da-da-da, or we're in the securities industry so they can strip our licenses and we can't, we would just start a hedge fund like uh <laughs> Epstein, right? The pedophile who got killed in jail. But there's always a way, right? <laughs> I think uh, 
securities licenses and securities laws are just for middle-class poor people trying to get into the industry. The super rich just have a hedge fund that has no rules. So how do you make sense of all that, Jason? Well, I think, you know, the that Bitcoin and, and cryptocurrency, right, it's still new technology, right? It's still very new, uh, very new stuff. Uh, you know, it, it's it's gaining more uh, notoriety. Well, by the fact that it's new, the, the first market share, you make more money. So right now dealing with Bitcoin, you're going to make more money in Bitcoin. And dealing with Bitcoin, you're going to get more benefits because it is new technology. Well, I think, you know, uh, when, when Bitcoin first came out in 2009, I think that would have been the best time to start mining. I think it's very expensive now to start mining uh, Bitcoin unless you're, you're somewhere where it's very cheap on electricity. But uh, there's other, the, the thing is, now that Bitcoin is very expensive, I believe one Bitcoin is, I can give you the exact number uh, right now, uh, how much it is in terms of U.S. dollars. Uh, right now, one Bitcoin is $11,364.90 US. So it's a very uh, expensive uh, currency. And and the question a lot of people that are new to cryptocurrencies, they, they ask why. why. Why is this Bitcoin uh, so expensive? And ultimately, it's, it's a value that the market has put onto it, right? So for people that have Bitcoin and that use Bitcoin and for businesses that accept Bitcoin, number one, they could send money without being tracked. Number two, uh, they're not paying any taxes, right? So that's a huge benefit. They're not paying any taxes. Uh, and number three, uh, you know, they're able to do move a lot of money very fast. And you're right, it has been used for nefarious ways such as uh, drug drugs uh be, people buying and selling drugs online and using bitcoin and other sort uh, of look uh, up silk, silk trail right or silk road that yes guy, yeah very interesting guy yeah so there there's a lot of uh bad elements uh that could be used but i guess it's just like normal money as well if you want to use normal money for illicit activities bad activities you could do that same thing with bitcoin it's just easier with bitcoin uh, but I think um, in terms of what's going to happen in the future is the governments, the world governments will eventually realize crypto is here. It's going to be here to stay and we need to have laws governing it. And they may uh, put more pressure on these Bitcoin wallets, these wallet companies that are kind of like uh, banks for Bitcoins. Uh, they may... Uh, you, you know, uh, put more regulation there. They may uh, put other regulations on the newer uh, cryptocurrencies that are coming out. So um, the thing is now it's not just Bitcoin. There's hundreds of different cryptocurrencies. And as time progresses, there most likely will be a lot more regulation uh, because the government, of course, always wants their peace. And also uh, for for consumer protection, right? Uh, you know, they, they've had many cases where people have had their Bitcoin wallets hacked and people have stolen the Bitcoin and there's no insurance on that, right? Yeah. So you could have maybe $50,000 in Bitcoin in a wallet, someone could hack it and steal it and 
you, you can't, there's no government, there's no insurance, there's no nothing, there's no one you could turn to. You can't call 911, right? You know, they're not, they're not going to be able to do anything. So the cryptocurrencies have a lot of uh, cons, a lot of negative cons. I don't think it's going to surpass normal currency, but it's something where it's good to, I guess, just learn about cryptocurrencies and watch this market because it will be growing over time. It's expected to grow over time. And as uh, people get more with technology, they start using technology more and more. Uh, eventually, they'll probably invest uh, in some sort of cryptocurrency and, and use it to buy and sell certain things. Right. Um, so... Uh... To that point, right? When you look at uh, sports betting in the United States, uh, Attorney General Barr, and it's very interesting because there's always, um, I knew the Breonna Taylor story on the peripheral, but then reading the New York Times story and seeing all the layers involved, whenever you have two or three people involved, there's always a conspiracy. When you have 20, <laughs> you multiply it by 100. So there's many layers to it, right? Okay, and I'll ask you this, uh, Jason, make sense of this for me. Donald Trump has always loved sports books, even though they weren't legal at the, at the hotels or Trump Tower, it's always been around. And one of his best friends who never snitched on him, never, uh, yeah, I have direct, I went to the Trump Tower and uh, talked to the bookmakers there and worked with them like 25 years ago. So in Trump Tower, where Trump was, there was a uh, sports betting app, right? That I benefited from 25 years ago, way past the statute of limitations for me. If anybody wants to come after me. But the guy ended up getting arrested and he never snitched anybody else. He never snitched uh, Trump. Trump was there when they, when they uh, cuffed him up and took him out of Trump Tower. They blew kisses at each other, they waved. And Trump always bet, but Trump lost the bet. Nobody went up to collect. He was at Trump Tower. He could get everybody arrested at any time. So guess what? Donald Trump is now the president of the United States of America, the most powerful, richest country in the world, right? And the Trump I saw 25 years ago was a very, very, very cool guy. Nice guy. Uh, always was asking me or everybody else where the women were, right? That's, that's Donald Trump. So... Fast forward, he's president of the United States. The guy he excruciates, uh, and he goes to selective pro prosecution. In the podcast where we talk about selective prosecution, we talk about all the betting laws. It's with Greg Wolf. I'll make sure that we post that podcast and it's in the episode notes so people have easy access to it. And we're going to set up a web page that just has the financial podcast in there. It'll be easy access to that podcast where we talk about uh, PASFA in the Supreme Court, but to what Jason just talked about, all right? Uh, Sessions was against 100%. Sports betting was going to prosecute him. Trump takes him out and puts William Barr, and the first thing that William Barr said, which was very interesting, was not about Mueller. Right? First words out of William Barr's mouth is, we are not going to prosecute sports betting online or through the wire act and the wire act just says that um you can't trade 
interstate things. It's something that's not legalized nationally. Now, the Supreme Court saying that states can legalize it, a good lawyer can argue that yes, that means it is legalized everywhere since uh, the Supreme Court said that the states can't make it illegal and can't legalize it, right? It's all legalese for lawyers. So 22 states have now legalized sports betting. And then when you go online, uh, you go to MyBookieAG, use our promo code ESBC, get a 100% match. Barr said he is not going to prosecute or do anything with that uh, situation. And you wouldn't get prosecuted. The, the person that would be prosecuting would be the people taking the bet. But it's a moot point. It's irrelevant because William Barr said he is not going to prosecute. So he's not going to prosecute it. That means the FBI, everybody else, is not going to investigate it. So even though, right, so, so you have the law, right, that people can argue about all day, really, and then you have selective prosecution, right? That's why most people in politics or William Barr aren't there for the money. William Barr is already in his mid-70s. His great-grandkids have money. He is in there for the power, being able to selectively prosecute and be God, right? He could say, this is who I want, right? To prosecute, or this is who I want to let free, like Roger Stone. Right? The Trudeau family isn't there for the money. They have very grandkids, right? They're in there for the family dynastic power. Do you disagree, Jason? You're free to disagree. I'm not right all the time, believe me. That's my wife. <laughs> Yeah, well, you, you know, the thing is uh, sports betting, right? Uh, people have been doing it for years, right? As you mentioned, and in parts of Europe and, and okay. other parts of the world, it's it's fully legal. And ultimately, uh, you know, it's your money. You should have a right to decide how you want to use it, right? Whether you want to buy something, whether you want to take a vacation, whether you want to go to a restaurant, whether you want to go to a casino, whether you want to bet on something, you should have a right to do that, right? So I, I don't think uh, any sort of government should come in and say, no, you can't do this or you can't do that or you can't do this. Uh, you know, uh, adults are able to make their own decisions, right? And right. Uh, and I think, um, you know, in terms of, um, uh, you know, uh, betting uh, or investing or any sort of thing that you want to do, it comes down to an individual choice, right? No one is uh, putting undue influence on you, right? No one's putting a, a gun to your head saying you have to do this or you, you can't do this. So it's it's something where I think uh, individual uh, responsibility and individual uh, options are, are very important, individual rights. And uh, I think it's really uh, good to see the U.S. and other countries open up more to to allowing people to do things online, you know, such as sports betting. And I don't think the government should be wasting tax dollars on, you know, trying to pursue those um, those kind of cases. Right. You know, if, if anything, there should maybe just put a limit. You know what I mean? Uh, the maximum bet is going to be 100k you know what i mean or uh a million bucks you know like no one could bet more than that or, or certain limits uh but it ultimately it's your money and it's your life and you should be able to uh make your own choices right and then let me know uh what your thoughts are with 
the way I would do selective prosecution. <clears throat> and then intertwine it with sports betting. My uh, number one priority would be China. I would delist and start prosecuting all the financial crimes of Chinese firms in the United States and Canada. Uh, code number one, or even number one, is uh, pedophile rings, sex trafficking rings. I would allocate resources towards that. And then number three, I would tax sports betting uh, profit, right? And this is an important word, profit, at 10%, right? And I would allow, uh, like they do in 20 out of the 22 states, they allow your gambling losses to be deducted from your income tax. Why? Because you don't just do sports betting, right? There's somebody has to take the bet. There's somebody who is going to, you have a great day, they're going to upsell you to a nicer hotel room. So you're going to buy a hotel room. You're going to buy food, right? And it's used $32,000 worth of gasoline over the last, um, to 2011. So we're going on 10 years. Right. Uh, by doing that, by having that system, you help the economy out and you allocate resources to the underbelly of society that's doing real harm to society. What are your thoughts, Jason? Yeah, it's it's, uh, <clears throat> you know, I think I think. Uh, in, in terms of making decisions on on what to prosecute or not not to prosecute that uh, that's definitely I think something that should go more on a case-to-case -case basis of, of what uh, what is the bigger I guess priority uh, at that point in time um, you know I don't really have uh, specific uh, examples of what what kind of causes I think are, are more important than, than others um in terms of in terms of that i think ultimately um you know i think the biggest issue right now is people are are paying taxes to the government and the government is there to serve the people right, right? they're there to serve the people and i i think a lot of uh, government institutions uh have gotten too big and too strong and they forget Right. Uh, that it's the people that are, are paying their checks and it's right. the people that they're they're they have to be responsible to. And I think uh, for sure the government should be much more transparent in uh, in how they deal with the public. And uh, I would like uh, I would like there to be, you know, like surveys. You know what I mean? If you have to call the city for something there should be a survey that you could do afterwards. There should be uh, someone that you could call and speak to if you have a complaint on the service you received, right? Uh, you know, it, it should be more, they should be held more accountable. And I think uh, what's happened is just decades of government mismanagement has uh, caused more issues than, uh, than, than uh, problems that they've solved. And I think that mismanagement has, uh, you know, it's it's burdened a lot of people with higher and higher taxes, 
and uh, and here's the thing: most people could solve their own problems if they have the the resources to do so, right? Most people, uh, if they had the resources to do so, they could easily solve most of their own problems. They don't really need the government to step in, and I think uh, I think that's really important is to to make sure that the government knows that they serve the people and that the people have more uh, rights and opportunities to, to inform the government how they should be served, right? Right. And there's going to be more regulation in the sports betting market. And, and it's interesting because uh, as sophisticated as Canada is, you know, with the rest of the world, and I know that China has a, a ridiculous stock market. Uh, Japan probably has a more organized stock market. The, the European uh, Union, I think it's actually doing a really good job, maybe even a little better job with uh, running their markets than uh, the US markets, which are the best in the world, right? They're with Europe, but still a lot of shady stuff goes on, a lot of shady manipulation goes on, gaslighting, lying goes on in the American markets that the sports betting market I obviously like everything else that you just leave it alone, but they should follow our lead, right? And run it as a business for crying out loud, right? Common sense is just common, <laughs> but run it as a common sense business to keep money circulating. And uh, as far as the regulations are concerned, I my regulation would be uh, that the sports leagues can't charge any fees, right? Uh, the rules are already in place of who can participate, who cannot participate. Uh, and I think, and we'll close with what you think about this, because uh, you see it in hockey. You know, I've seen it in hockey for many years. Uh, his name is in Danny Davis, but I remember the, it was a famous referee who was just famous for fixing it fixing hockey games, uh, the genie's out of the bottle, right? So it cannot be a legitimate market, right? In a re legitimate market, you have to have equal amount of buyers and sellers, right? So sports leagues, hockey included, NFL, NBA, uh, and wrestling kind of illustrates it, right, with a shady referees. You cannot have a legitimate market because, and it ties into the securities markets that uh, Jason and I are in, uh, you cannot have a legitimate sports market, market when the referees are being paid by the league. So the fact that there's money exchange between the leagues and the referees, the referees now, who are the arbiters, right? They're the judge judges in this case, the legal system in this case, have a fiduciary responsibility to the people paying them. So, uh, so when somebody makes a call, right, and it's wrong and it's on purpose for the league to make more money, it's 100% legal. It might be unethical, like we're saying. <laughs> you might not like it because the call was against your team, but it is 100,000% legal. He's making a decision for the person who's giving him money and has a fiduciary responsibility. So you say this blows up, he was calling it on purpose, wrong, 100% legal. You might not like it, it might be unethical, maybe you don't want to watch anymore, which is doubtful, but it's 100% legal. You might, I mean, it might be counterintuitive, 
It might be like when you first found out the Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny were not real, but that's reality, right? Because if we get a game wrong, we lose money. We're not like the other sports commentators who get paid up front and whoever wins, they win because they're getting paid. We don't. We only get paid if the team we bet on wins. So we factor in, uh, especially a guy like Jason and I, uh, oh, New Orleans has the, the 58th market going against LA number two market. All right. Who did I bet on? I bet on LA. I'll give you two specific examples. Same guy. Rams number two market. All right. Uh, New Orleans number 58 market. Referee makes a ridiculous call everybody knew in favor of who? The number two market. Where they're building a five billion dollar stadium. Who's gonna win that game, Jason? You know, you know, said you didn't watch the NFL. Just purely as a businessman that you are, Jason. Who's gonna win that game? The the team that has the higher probability, right? The higher, you know, but the higher market, the higher money. Yeah. The league's gonna make two billion dollars if the Rams win. They're gonna make five hundred million if New Orleans wins. Yeah. Who's going to win the game? And who is the referee going to make a ridiculously bad call that's obvious in front of or take that risk for? It's true. Yes, that's true. It's very true. It happens every day. It happens subtly. There's four or five plays that can go either way. It goes in the way of their fiduciary responsibility. Uh, 100% unethical, but also 100% legal. So, and I'll, and I'll put the video on Twitter. Um, Rihanna picked it perfectly. Uh, Stan Kroenke is the owner of the Denver Nuggets going against the Utah Jazz. Seventh game. What happened? Scott Foster, right? They, you, uh, had 300 text messages with Tim Donahue, who went to jail for fixing games. He comes up, switches the whole series around from the Jazz to Stan Kroenke, owner of the Rams was connected to the Walton family from Walmart, who just built a $5 billion stadium. Who did we bet on? The Nuggets. And I doubled down my bet. Instead of being 1000 I put 2000 and I made $900. Because I knew that the, the Denver Nuggets were going to win. On purely financial reasons. Because who the owner of the team is. And believe me, sports leagues love uh, real estate. I remember working for Verizon Wireless. They said, uh, all right, raise your hand if you know what's the number one business we're in, number one revenue stream we're in. And I mean, this is a trick question because we're working for Verizon Wireless. It must be like McDonald's, right? McDonald's does not make the most money off the food. They make the most money off commercial real estate. They anchor a tenant for themselves in a strip mall and they own the whole strip mall, right? Same thing for Verizon Wireless. The number one uh, I think probably the same thing for Rogers in Canada. The number one isn't cell phone service. The number one is uh, real estate. And then real estate they share with the government because the government's involved in it. I'm sure in Canada more than ever. That's where they make the biggest amount of money. Even though they make billions upon billions of dollars with cell phone service, it's commercial real estate. Same thing for the sports leagues. They make the most money owning those stadiums and building those stadiums. And the fact that Stan Gronke 
has just built a stadium for five billion dollars, and he's the owner of the Denver Nuggets. Believe me. Hey, what I love about this, about sports, there are a million cameras there. <laughs> you can verify it for yourself. And we predicted it before it happened in real time. I'm going to put on Twitter, Brianna Winner predicting the Denver Nuggets to win. And we do this all the time. We've done that year after year, time after time. But the beauty of technology now is that we can do it in the highest level of transparency. We, a video before the game us telling you that. And on that video Brianna has, I'm going to put you a live spreadsheet that shows us currently with the NBA. And I told you we were going to do it before with a live spreadsheet showing you 75% NBA, 52.5% is break even. Listen to last week's podcast where we talked about compounding. So that margin between 52.5% and 70 to 80 percent that middle consistently over 12 years is compound interest final words final thoughts final thoughts there josh is definitely to all the viewers to to have them to go on the website you know make sure they're going on the website you know make sure they're they're uh, following on the twitter uh but also the website is f jam-packed with a lot of uh, amazing stuff and pics and if they, uh, they, they, you know, definitely check out the website. Yes, definitely check out the website. Definitely click on my bookie, AG, 100% match, and then use our picks to make money with that margin, betting equal amounts on each game. And we can make money together. And we're teaching you how to make your own fish, teach a man, you don't teach a man how to fish. Uh, you don't give a man a fish. You teach him how to fish. That's what we do here. Num First and foremost, we're an educational podcast, right? And what I love about this podcast is that everybody from Jason to Sarah to Brianna to Brandon first, Craig Mizrak is going to be coming out, uh, Coach Lupian 2016, Coach of the Year, Raider Jim, all of us are in alignment with what Jason, Maverick is going to bring us home with the guy who got Canada, United States, England through World War II, Sir Winston Churchill. What did Winston Churchill say, Jason? Uh, I believe the quote is, uh, you, you know, uh, you make a living from uh, what, what you uh, get. But uh, you uh, so, uh, you make a life about uh, what what you give. Exactly. Thank you for listening to the ESBC podcasting. If you haven't heard of Anchor, it is free. It's a podcast that I use, <clears throat> and they really do a good job for us here at the GFSN betting and team report podcast that helps us make 70 to 80 percent of your bets now download the free anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started my brothers that's why this one don't cost 800 and that goes 200 and i don't know what that cost i'm just shaking the word